Thank you and uh, for being here and taking time to respond to our questions. Uh, could you please speak about your current field of uh, research and what are your main questions you are focusing on? So I'm Fabio Vera Suarez. I'm a researcher at the International Policy Center for Inclusive Growth, uh, the IPCIG. So the IPCIG is a partnership between the Brazilian government and the UNDP office in Brazil. Uh, and basically we do research on mostly on social protection. So I coordinate several research programs, um, some ongoing, but some very interesting research that we have done in the past. And specifically nowadays we have focused a little bit on social protection in the MENA countries, in the Middle East and, and North Africa, working in particular in partnership with the UNICEF MINARO office. Thank you. What are the challenges and the opportunities of uh, conducting research in, in uh, cash transfers or social protection programs in uh, fragile emergency contexts? Well, most of my research is basically more on the social protection side than on the humanitarian assistance or the cash for humanitarian assistance. So I think that most of the contribution of our research is basically to look at how the social protection programs that are already in place can contribute to the humanitarian assistance or can help the humanitarian assistance when a conflict or a disaster uh, happens. So we have a very interesting example uh, uh, that was our research in Yemen. It was the National Social Protection Monitoring Survey. That was something that was commissioned by UNICEF Yemen back in 2011, 2012. And what prompted UNICEF to go after IPC to do this survey and to analyze uh, the survey was to get information on what, happened, what had happened to the, the country after the Arab Spring. So they, have, uh, they were building a government of national unity. So they need information, not, uh, not only about the child well-being, but about the whole uh, socioeconomic uh, status of the country, the state it, it, it was on and also about the social welfare funds. So what's the social welfare, welfare fund? It's an unco unconditional cash transfer uh, program uh, ca that's paid basically to some categories, those that are not able to work. So they have what they call the social categories. It's the elderly, the disabled, and often children, as well as the economic categories, basically the unemployed and it's uh, women without a breadwinner. So women that are not married, uh, that are widowed or that are divorced, that would need help from, from the government. And something that is interesting is that Yemen is a low-income country and has a very large uh, cash transfer program. It basically covers 35% of the population. And we realized in doing that research that there were lots of misconception and prejudice towards this program, especially in the capital, when we're talking to different ministries, not necessarily the Ministry of Social Affairs, but they believed that the ministers didn't have the capacity to implement this program on the ground. So I think that politically, more important than the findings that we had from these um, research, showing the high levels, for example, of malnutrition, high levels of illiteracy, the unemployed unemployment problem, that all came out from this research was actually to show that a low-income country actually was implementing in a very effective way uh, unconditional cash transfer programs. So even internally, even within the government, they, they had some misbelief that their own structures 
So the social workers from the, from the Ministry of Social Affairs at the, ground, at the ground, as well as the capacity of the post office to deliver this transfer was actually effective. So what this research showed, because our sample was completely independent from the database from the government, so actually our enumerators went to the field, they collected the information, and when we did the analysis, we found out that basically what we knew from the program, how the program should work, was exactly what's, what was coming out from the results of the survey. Moreover, we went one step further and we sort of merged the administrative database with the survey that we had. And then we could, for example, find that the exactly amount that was supposed to be delivered to, to the beneficiaries were being delivered. When there was lots of fear, mainly among like, the Ministry of Finance, that the people were not getting this cash. So it was a really, really inter inter interesting for us to be able to show that uh, the program was effective, that the Ministry of Social Affairs and Labor was doing uh, a great job, and that these structures that were at the, at the fields were actually working in a proper way. And well, with the conflict, with the civil war that's going place in, in Yemen now, uh, the program was stopped. But now the database of this program, which is a quite large database, is going to be used to um, uh, to be the, the, the instrument to deliver the emergency cash aid for the population of Yemen. So that's something that's it's quite interesting. I think it's quite important. So I think that one of the key messages, uh, and that's what we, we tried to say in the conference, is that whenever you think of uh, how to address an emergency using cash, tr cash transfers or social protection instruments, it's very important to look at what the country has already done not only in terms of informal social protection, the networks that already exist in the population, how they cope with shocks, but also to look at the, the formal social protection that's already in place. Sometimes when the AIDS arrives, we arrive with lots of preconception, and some of this preconception and, and prejudice are actually embedded also in the development structure, but sometimes these things work, and I think that's uh, the Yemen example backed by our research is a clear case you made it. It does work and it can help um, social, prote and social protection can help the humanitarian assistance to be delivered to the population that need it. Um, do you think that uh, social protection in fragile humanitarian context is a neglected area and why is this? Uh, well, it, it can be neglected in two ways, right? It can be neglected in the sense that if it already exists, it can be neglected when the aid arrives or when the government structure is being organized to deliver these supports, and it doesn't consider the social protection mechanisms that are already in place as a form or something that could be adapted to, to deliver this aid. That's one of type of um, one type of neglect that can happen. The other type is when there is nothing before. You are implementing and you, you sometimes you build this infrastructure uh, to deliver these aids. And then when the crisis is passed, you just downsize it and you finish and that's it. So in that, in that sense, this infra infrastructure, this knowledge, this capacity that's built in order to deliver the humanitarian assistance could be adapted in the sense of trying to increase and, and to forge a new capacity to have 
permanent social protection programs that could be managed by the state and by the new government. So there is these two types of neglect that I think exists and that should be tackled. But we, we do need to have more research and more evidence and more experimentation in a good way. So it's experiment that generates evidence and that inf inform the policymakers and development partners and the humanitarian uh, assistance to build uh, social protection in a much more longer term way. Um, talking about collecting data, in your experience, uh, um, is there a trade-off between uh, urgency and quality in collecting data, and how can we address that? Um, there is. Our experience was in Yemen, right? So Yemen was, when we did the, the survey, was sort of stable. But for example, one of the governorates of the country, exactly where the Houthi rebellion started, Sada, could not be covered by, by the survey. So that's something that may jeopardize the quality of the data that uh, we have. And, and also, right, the most of the data that we have to analyze, they are collected when you have a stable condition and that changes when you have some sort of conflict going on. And we cannot wait for the data to arrive. So that there should be other ways to try to get more uh, monitoring systems that can provide data in a way that can inform decisions and can also inform um, the analysis on which type of action should be taken. But it's a challenge and it does affect the quality, yes. Um. And what are the main pros and cons for administering social protection programs in crisis emergency contexts? Well, having said, uh, like, like the Yemen example showed, um, uh, having said that when you already have formal social protection being implemented and that this, the instruments or the, the hardware that has been built for the social protection um, being able to be adapted, that's something that needs to be assessed. So one of the challenges is actually, okay, we know that they have had it, but we need to do a needs assessment. Uh, someone was saying this morning, for example, in the case of Yemen, the benefits were delivered by the post office, but maybe the conflicts may have turned the post office inefficient or even inoperant. So in that case, you analyze what you had before, but also you analyze if it can operate in the current circumstances. So one of the challenges is to be able to do this type of assessment in a quick way. And also to bear in mind there are lots of risks. So you need to have like monitoring and double checks in order to see if this um, instrument is being adequately implemented, if it's not hijacked by one of the parts of the conflict and excluding the other side of the conflict. So especially for the humanitarian organizations, th that can be a little bit difficult uh, as a third party uh, in order to make sure that the population is not affected by the disputes or by the resource power of the different, uh, of the fighting sides. Um, what do we know about uh, how program design components affect, or can affect, the well-being of populations uh, that are meant to be addressed? Well, in conflict situations, one of the major bottlenecks for using existing social protection programs is that most of the social protection in these regions, they use some sort of targeting. 
right? So you may have categorical targeting that's a little bit more comprehensive, as in the case of Yemen, or you may have something more narrow in the sense that you only target those who are in poverty or are vulnerable. When you have a conflict or you have a crisis that affects large segments of the population, many of those that were not part of your list of potential beneficiaries become beneficiaries. So in, in a way, not necessarily the targeting tools that you use for the social protection is going to be the same target tool that we're going to use for a humanitarian response. So you may need to change this. You can use, for example, the same payments modality. You can use same levels of benefits, but perhaps the, your target population will differ more or less. So the challenge here will be how you are going to keep your, the program and how we are going to change, not the program, but how we're going to change the way you implement the cash delivery so that you can also incorporate this other population that in principle was not your target population. And what are the main knowledge gaps to better leverage social protection in fragile research in fragile contexts? Well, I think that most of the research findings that we have nowadays are linked to shock-responsive social protection, but with specific types of shock. So it's more related, for example, to natural disasters, internally displaced population, which less challenging than when the population is displaced to another country where they are not citizens. So there's the whole rights um, issue. But in the, in the context of these uh, shock has responsive social protection, I think that uh, there is lots of evidence on how the programs can respond, on which type of like registry system can be used and how it can piggyback or you can just expand the program depend on the characteristics of the beneficiaries, the characteristics of the registration that you have to incorporate new beneficiaries. There I think there is a, a body of evidence that's um, it's good. And it's much easier also to, to raise uh, evidence to have surveys being applied and to have proper monitoring and evaluation systems. In the case of conflict, then it becomes a little bit more, more challenging because not necessarily we are going to have the surveys or the information, the data collection in a way that will allow you to have uh, more information. So, but, uh, and then I think that's one of the priorities actually to, and yesterday there was one of the suggestions is to have some, some part of the budget dedicated to collect information, perhaps in innovative ways, not necessarily with household surveys. Sometimes the population is in camps, so it's not really a household that we're going to be analyzing in order to see how the cash or how the support, sometimes it's just the psycho psychosocial support that the, the families need is affecting the, the population that's, uh, that suffers with the conflict. How can we improve evidence on social protection in, in this kind of context? <laughs> wow. As I said, the first, the, the first thing we need to have is, 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 is funding. I think, I think that the, the inputs necessary for this is to have funding and also to have innovative thinking on how data can be collected and how the evaluation can be implemented in a way that you can attribute changes in people's lives, change in the people's uh, beliefs in terms of the hope that they have for the future as an outcome of that intervention. That's always the challenge for the evaluation is to claim that there is a causal link 
between the what we do and what we see afterwards in terms of the outcomes for these families. It's difficult even without having a conflict, without having a disaster, in these settings, it's particularly more difficult. So the, the two inputs that I believe is, is more funding and also to try to be more innovative and then it's a, a researchers need to think on, on how they can provide um, evaluations design that's not a burden for the program, that does not delay aid, but at the same time that can make this causal link between the intervention and the results that we can see afterwards. And how can research help to bridge this uh, humanitarian development divide, which uh, uh, seems to be there? Well, um, it may bridge, it may just break the bridge. So it's, it's many of these um, these questions are empirical questions, right? So you may have one effect that goes on one way, the other effect that goes on the other way. Some of the sessions here, for example, were quite pessimistic in the sense that uh, some believe that you are demanding too much of social protection, that social protection would not be able to deliver all the instruments or all the outputs that humanitarian assistance would need. Others are concerned that humanitarian assistance is expensive and that it's not realistic to think that what's developed for humanitarian assistance can be incorporated into the social protection and be funded by the budget of the governments in these in these countries so i think that the research can go in both directions i think that the research can help us to understand what is the linkage between them what we can expect and what we cannot expect from social protection and how we can expect that the humanitarian infrastructure that's being built can uh, leave a legacy or can be the basis to have, to have a better social protection system in place. So I think that uh, basically the research may bridge the gap in the sense of showing us what works and what does not work, what's more effective in order to make the bridge works. How would, would you um, define a successful program in uh, a <coughs> fragile context, what, what you can consider a successful outcome of a social protection program in emergency context? Yeah, the, 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 case, of uh, the case of Yemen is a case of a successful program. So we, we, do, we did show that even in a low-income countries with political instability, it did work. Uh, even without having the conflict. And after the conflict, when it, it stopped, um, I think that the development partners uh, came to the conclusion that it was the best instrument to channel help to the population. So it does show that it's a, it's a very successful case because it, it had a scope, it was very well structured, and it was more of a system rather than just one single, single program. And people believe in the program, it, 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 it was effective in people's life. So that was one successful case of how social protection could help the humanitarian assistance in a conflict and fragile uh, situation. Other case, you, uh, we have some examples and here we have discussed the case of Ethiopia, the case of Kenya with the Hunger Safety Net program in which you have a social protection program that has been adapted before for the case of natural disasters, basically for the case of droughts in which you have a response even for those who do not need um, 
or in principle would not need age support or cash support every year, you may have some that may need for some parts of the month or for some years when you have a drought. And they have embedded into the program mechanisms that we start paying these potential new beneficiaries even before the worst effects of the drought is started. So that's something very innovative and something that is a successful case, showing how you can use technology and use a well-designed program in order to respond immediately to a crisis. Because in humanitarian response, the, the big challenge is this, you cannot wait. And you need to know before or well before how to prepare for when the worst, before the worst effects kicks in. What actions by external partners, international organizations, including UNICEF, um, can, can help or hinder effective social protection outcomes in uh, emergency contexts? Is the role for this For research? Yeah. No, I, thi I think that UNICEF uh, has and has had uh, a big role in generating evidence about social protection. So even if you think it's outside the uh, conflict and emergency situation, but the transfer project is a great project that has inspired many, many countries in doing evaluation, has raised many, many issues, has put forward methodologies. And I think that, for example, uh, in within the transfer project, one of the great things that UNICEF and FAO and the other partners of the, of the program have shown the international communities the importance of embedding the monitoring evaluation that you do for a program in consultation with the government. So it's not something that's completely independent. Sometimes we see as a best practice to have an evaluation that's completely independent, but an evaluation that's completely independent hardly defines are going to influence the policy and change the policy. So establishing this dialogue with the government and contributing to generate uh, uh, evidence and a body of evidence to improve the programs, including their responsiveness to shock and their flexibility to incorporate potential new beneficiaries when there is a shock. I think it's something that UNICEF uh, can do and has already done. And if 